want to encourage you to take your Bibles tonight and turn back to where you were this morning, only one chapter later. Second Chronicles chapter 35 is where we're going to be this evening. And I want to talk with you tonight about the danger of presumption. The danger of presumption. And we saw what God did and how he used uh, Josiah. But I also want you to see that Josiah was a man. He was an ordinary man in many respects, just like any one of us as human beings. He, he had to learn the things that we are having to learn. He made the discoveries that we have to discover about who God is and about how to walk with him. And although we read of this remarkable thing that took place in his life when he was 26 years old, when they discovered the law in the temple and he heard it for the first time and he realized how much danger they were in because they had been unfaithful to God. And he led this marvelous uh, response as the story unfolds the reforms that he had been carrying on for six years from age 20 to 26. He continued them. The Passover, which had not been celebrated uh, for years and years and years he called the whole nation to observe the Passover and the Bible says in uh, verse 19 I think it is or 18 of that chapter that it had not been done like that with any king at any time in their history not since the time of Samuel and so the reforms continued and they had this remarkable Passover period of time and, um, and then they had 13 years of peace. God had made a promise to Josiah that because his heart had been tender towards the Lord and tender towards his words, that the judgment that was going to come on the nation was not going to come on him as an individual. and He would escape that as a king. But then something unusual happens, and chapter 35 records for us the death of Josiah at the age of 39. And it causes a lot of consternation for some Bible scholars because God had said he would go in peace to his fathers. God had made a promise to him, and, and, and Josiah's death was not exactly peaceful. So what, was God unfaithful, or did something happen that put Josiah in a place whether he missed or lost something of the promise of God. Uh, the promise certainly was that the nation would not be judged while he was king. That certainly happened. But there are questions about how he died. I just want you to know that just like the people who were about to enter the promised land, God had said that he was going to give them the promised land. He had made a promise to them. He brought them right up to the edge. But when they stepped back, that promise was not fulfilled, was it? And it was not God's fault. And they truly lost something that God had intended that they would have because they chose not to trust him at a critical moment in their life. So when we talk about the danger of presumption, we're talking about really a kind of sin that we can commit. And it's a cautionary story, but it's one filled with meaning, I think, and perhaps may affect what you are planning to do this week in your own life. You've heard of sins 
of uh, we typically, when we think of sin, we think of sins of commission, things that we do that are wrong. But the Bible also describes sins of omission that are equally wrong. Sins of commission, God says don't do that, and we do it. Sins of omission, God says do this, and we don't. And this is a sin of omission, this danger of presumption. I think this will make more sense as we get into it. So 13 years of peace have passed. And then we come to chapter 35, verse 20, 2 Chronicles chapter 35, verse 20. After this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, Necho, king of Egypt, and that is how you pronounce it, by the way, Necho, sounds like a mafia boss. Old Necho, Necho, king of Egypt, came up to fight against Carchemish by the Euphrates, and Josiah went out against him. In 2 Kings 23, the death of Josiah, only the facts are given. We know that he goes out against the king or the pharaoh of Egypt, and it appears that all that Pharaoh was doing is he had an alliance with the Assyrians. And Israel sat in between the Assyrians to the north and northeast, and, and between them and the Egyptians to the south and to the southwest. And there they were in the middle. And the Assyrians were in big trouble. The Babylonians, who were going to be the next big thing, were, had taken the whole southern section of the Assyrian Empire, and they were in trouble. And so apparently they had called on their buddy Necho, and Necho the Egyptian was coming to their aid. And in the midst of that, it says that Josiah went out against him. And the, the one who wrote Chronicles, Second Chronicles, he gives us a lot more detail. It's very significant. I think it helps us understand what happened here. Now, if you've been reading through the Bible, let's say you were in a read the Bible through in a year plan, and you get to this chapter of Scripture, and you read what happened in this moment where Necho is, is going up, and Josiah just says, all it says is Josiah went out against him. You would have recognized the fatal flaw in Josiah's action. You would have recognized that there was something wrong with what he just did. Because over and over again through the scripture, you see a pattern of people who are incredibly successful in their life because before every major decision and every major action, they did something first. They inquired of the Lord. They inquired of the Lord. And you see it over and over again in Scripture. I want to give an example of King David because Josiah admired David. I believe one of the reasons Josiah chose to find the God of David was because of his admiration for David as a king. And so I just want to read some verses. I printed some out, did a search, and just pulled some up about David. And David's a great example of someone who does what Josiah failed to do. Listen, 1 Samuel 23, verse 2. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, go and attack the Philistines. Two verses later, he does it again. Then David inquired of the Lord once again, and the Lord answered him and said, arise, go down, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. 1 Samuel 30, verse 8, So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall, shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. Their, their families, their children, all had been taken. I don't think I would even pray about that. 
But he did. He inquired of the Lord, can we rescue them, Lord? Can we, can we get our families back? 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1, it happened after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to any of the cities of, of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. David said, Where shall I go? And he said to Hebron. 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 19, So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. Four verses later, it says, Then David inquired of the Lord, and he said, this is God now. You shall not go up, circle around behind them, and come up upon them in front of the mulberry trees. He gave them very specific detail of how to do the action, the military action. And then 2 Samuel 21, verse 1. Now there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. And David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered, It is because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house, because he killed the Gibeonites. And so David realized that the famine was... God getting their attention for something Saul had done years earlier and David was about to make it right. And that's just one example. One man who walked with God. And over and over again we see that before every major step in his life he takes it and he brings it to the Lord. Lord, do you want me to do this? Do you want me to make this go in this direction? Do you want me to make this decision? Lord, is this something that would please you? Do you have specific detail on how you want me to do this, how you want me to go about this? But when we read chapter 35, verse 20, it just says, and Josiah went out against him. It's not there. It's just not there. Josiah did not inquire of the Lord before he went out against Necho. Now, you'll come across all the time in the Bible these references to those who would inquire of the Lord. So in contrast to others, it appears that Josiah made a single tactical error in his walk with God. And it was very costly. And it was very deadly to him. So listen to what happened next, verse 21. But he sent messengers to him saying, What have I to do with you, king of Judah? I have not come against you this day, but against the house with which I have war. For God commanded me. Now this is Nico. Pharaoh the Egyptian speaking, for God commanded me to make haste. Refrain from meddling with God who is with me, lest he destroy you. So God's keeping his promise. This is not the end of Judah. God had said, as long as you're alive, Josiah, I'm not going to judge the nation. God is keeping his promise. God's also keeping his promise because Necho is not a threat to Josiah. And God said that Josiah would go to his grave in peace. And, and Nico was not a threat to him. And Nico was telling him that. Sometimes God will speak to you and me through sources that we least expect. And if we are not careful, we will miss the direction, the statements, the circumstances, the people God has put into our life, other Christians, things that I'm reading in the Scripture on a daily basis. Even the promptings of his Holy Spirit inside of me, I can miss all of those things because he may sometimes speak to me in ways that I did not expect. And had he inquired of the Lord, even after Nico gave him that advice, he would have been safe. Well, the Bible goes on, verse 22. It says, nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from him 
but disguised himself so that he might fight with him. And did not heed the words of Nico, look at this, from the mouth of God. The words of Nico had come from the mouth of God. So he came to fight him in the valley of Megiddo. And so you have this man who, at a critical moment in his life, at age 26, had heard God speak to him, and everything changed, and he became such a faithful man in so many ways. What a caution it is to you and me that you may have walked with the Lord for many years. You may know him. You may know that he is your Savior and your Lord. You may have trusted him. You have made many decisions because you have prayed and he's given you guidance. But we can't stop. We can't stop living that way. I never come to a place where I graduate from my need to inquire of the Lord. So I want to share with you three dangers of presumption. Three dangers of presumption. First, the danger of moving my faith away from God. That's what presumption does. It moves my faith away from God. Who was Josiah trusting in this moment of decision? He was trusting Josiah. Josiah's ability to assess the situation, to measure the problem, and determine what needed to be done next. He had moved his faith in that moment from God and his wisdom, God and his guidance, God and his direction, away from God to himself. And this happens throughout the scripture. We see people making this mistake. One of the ones that I've taught on for years and talked about is in Mark chapter 9, where nine disciples of Jesus who had been commissioned in Mark 7 to cast out demons, preach the gospel, heal the sick, came on a situation with a demonized boy and a father asking for help, and they were unable to cast the demon out. And Jesus had said they could, but then they couldn't. When they talked to Jesus about it later, Jesus said to them very simply, he said, well, guys, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. So what did they stop doing? Praying. In that moment, they had presumed, God, I got this. I know how to do this. We've done it dozens of times before. I don't even need to pray about this. Demon, come out. And the demon didn't come out. And so you and I are in this position of being called to place our faith in God always to rest in him and never in ourselves. In Proverbs chapter 3 verse 5, the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. How many ways? All your ways. Acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Now listen to this. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Don't go there. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. The moment I start making decisions based on my assumptions, my wisdom, my abilities, what's he call that? Evil. He says, don't do that. Depart from evil. Get away from that. Depend on me. Call on me. Keep your faith in me. Second danger. The danger of enlisting God for my causes. Presumption will do that. The danger of enlisting God. God for my causes. You know what I just did? I realized I passed the definition of presumption. Go back to the definition of presumption, guys. Can you pull that up real quick? 
Can I define this for us? Presumption. To undertake to do something without right or permission. You with me now? To, to go about something that I don't have the right to do, but I seize the right to do it. Okay, let's go back to number two, the second danger. The danger of enlisting God for my causes. This is a question that I have to ask, and this is true of your pastor, your brother. It's true of the Christian sitting beside you. Uh, it, is, it is something we all deal with. But I have to answer the question almost every day and in every situation, does God exist to serve me or do I exist to serve God? And I catch myself praying, God bless these plans I've made. God bless these plans I've made. I didn't include you in these plans. But God, you know, I'm your son and these are good plans. God bless these plans I've made. God, protect us as we go to X, Y, Z, wherever. God, go before me as I do this thing in your name. He is the king. We are his servants. And dear ones, he needs no advice or counsel from us. He doesn't. He already has the plan. He already has the answers. And our calling is to put our faith in him. There's a third danger. The danger of living independently of his rule. The danger of living independently of his rule. God made us to depend on him always. The Holy Spirit was given to you and me the moment we trusted Jesus. The Holy Spirit was given so we would not rely on ourselves to overcome sin or make decisions or do anything. He, he gave us a spirit to always dwell within us, always to guide us and to direct us, not to live independently of ourselves. The book of Acts is a story about how the church did business. In almost every page, you can see the church simply doing what God told them to do next. Over and over again, he just simply said, now I want you to do this. I want I want you, Philip, I want you to go out in the middle of nowhere. I know it's a great revival that you're in right now, but I want you to lead that revival, and I want you to lead the revival in Samaria. I want you to go out in the middle of nowhere. And when he goes out there, he encounters a black man, one of the highest-ranking officials in Ethiopia, and he shares the gospel with him. Peter's on a roof. He's praying, and he has this vision of all of these things that Jewish people are not supposed to eat. And it comes down in a big sheet. And he hears this voice that says, get up and eat. Eat it, Peter. <laughs> and, and it's all unclean. And then just before the uh, vision ends, God says, by the way, there's some men coming. And they're about to knock on the door. And when they knock on that door, I want you to go with them. And where do they take them? They take them to Cornelius' house, a Gentile. They don't eat the right foods. And he shares the gospel with him, and they're saved. I mean, over and over and over and over in the book of Acts, you see a church that's not growing because someone had a master plan. You see a church that's exploding because they simply, as individuals and as a congregation, they simply follow the next thing God said to do. The danger of living independently of his rule. In John 15, verses 4 and 5, the Lord Jesus teaches us how he wants you and me to live. He really wants us to live this way. 
Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, you cut the branch off of the apple tree or the pear tree or whatever it is, it cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you. You can't bear fruit. Whatever you want to call the fruit, fruit of the Spirit, the graces of the Spirit, the, uh, the works of the Spirit, whatever it is you want to call it, you cannot produce that on your, on your own. You can't stick, take a study course of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control and think you can study your way into producing that fruit in your life. Neither can you, Jesus said, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears how much fruit? Much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Do you get the idea that he wants you and me to depend on him for everything? Everything? We enter into conversations with people. Do you think he wants us to depend on him as we enter into those conversations? We make decisions, dozens of decisions all throughout the day. Do you think he wants us to walk with him and rely on him? As those decisions come to us, Lord, how do you want me to respond to this? What do you want me to do next? What do you want me to say to this person? How do you want me to walk? Our primary assignment is to abide in the vine. Everything needed for you and for me to bear fruit lives in the vine. And as I abide in Christ, his promise is that everything that he wants to produce through me, everything he wants to accomplish through me, Everything he wants to do through your life and my life, he can do it if we will totally and completely depend on him. This inquiring of the Lord thing was not just Josiah's issue, but it was costly. God does not shield us from the consequences of presumption. Look at verse 23. And the archers shot King Josiah. That's kind of abrupt. And the king said to his servants, take me away, for I am severely wounded. His servants therefore took him out of that chariot and put him in the second chariot that he had, and they brought him to Jerusalem. Now look at this. So he died. That's sad. That bothers me when I read things like that in the text. I think, oh God, he was just 39. And was buried in one of the tombs of his fathers. And all Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. Jeremiah, the prophet, also lamented for Josiah. He loved the king, loved him as a prophet. This is a small example. It's just a small thing. But um, I feel led to share it. When I was in my first pastorate, one of the things we worked on, some of y'all are old enough, you've been involved in church life long enough, you remember the exercise that some churches would go through called long-range planning. Anybody remember that? Long-range planning. There's all three of you remember that. Um, long-range planning. And the exercise of long-range planning, and for someone like me who's kind of given to administration, organi- organizing and all that, the, the appeal of that is you go out, you kind of study the community, you study the church and what's going on in the church, you project what's going to happen kind of down the road with the population and some of the needs in the area, and you do all this research, all these studies, and then you, you come up with a plan. How's the church going to respond to these things? And you, you set it up, and it was a five-year plan, long-range planning, five-year plan. 
And we did all that work. I had a wonderful group of men and women. I was 27 years old, but I had this, all this wisdom gathered around the table. And we, we worked on that. We produced a, a notebook that would break the neck of any beast of burden you could find. It was, it was great work. I was so excited about that notebook. And then at some point, I can't tell you exactly when it happened, but at some point, before we brought it to the church, I just came under great conviction. And I was really kind of scared because here we had all done all this work together. These men and women had worked with me and we'd done all this work together. And I just felt convicted that putting dates on these things and saying, we're going to do this, 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 we're going to do this. And I felt the Lord say, you don't know you're going to do any of that, son. And I went back to that committee and I said, y'all, I'm so sorry. But I think we need to stop what we're doing. And we just simply need to pray. And you know what happened to that group, that wonderful committee of men and women with all their wisdom? You know what they did? They collectively exhaled a sigh of relief. They said, oh, thank God, Pastor. We were just tired looking at all this. We're so glad. We think you heard from the Lord. Amen. <laughs> I don't remember what context I, I first heard this, but, but have you ever heard stop, drop, and roll? You remember, remember that? We teach that to kids. We teach that to adults. What's happening when we tell them to do that? Stop, drop, and roll. What's happening? They're on fire. They're on fire. Stop, drop, and roll. It'll save your life. Right now, I believe in a group this size, in a gathering this mixed with all the different ages and places that you and I are. I wonder if there's someone here tonight that's been going down a trail where you've made decision after decision after decision. You suddenly, as you're sitting here, the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to your heart and saying, look, look, son, look, daughter, listen, I want you to stop I want you to drop, and I want you to seek me. Stop what you're doing. Stop it now. Before it gets worse, before there are consequences that you'll regret the rest of your life, stop what you're doing. Don't make that decision until you stop and you drop. You know what we mean by drop, don't you? We talked about it this morning, what we do when we worship the Lord. All true worship is what? It's a bowing and yielding to him, isn't it? Stop and drop. And Lord, I'm not going to take another step. Just tell him, Lord, I'm not going to take another step until you tell me what to do. Josiah needed to go back to the commitment that he made when he was 16 years old to seek the Lord with all his heart. He just needed to go back in that moment. He was 39 now. He wasn't the great wise one. He, he learned when he was 16 that he needed to He needed God, and he needed to seek him, and no matter how old you get, no matter how many experiences you've had, no matter matter how much education you have acquired, you never get beyond the the commitment of a 16-year-old Josiah who said, I need to seek God. Do you need to do that tonight? 
You realize that you've been making decision after decision, action after action. And these are not things that the Lord told you to do. But maybe it made sense to you. And you're beginning to have second thoughts because something's beginning to unravel or you've got a check in your spirit. That means you're being convicted that there's something amiss. Something's not right. Will you stop? Will you drop? Will you seek him? Let me ask you to bow your heads and to close your eyes. We're going to take a moment to respond to the Lord as he speaks to us. And the pastors and I will be down front. You know, you may just need someone to pray with you. Maybe, maybe you're in a place and you're journey, your walk with God, you've got major decisions in front of you, maybe even this week. You know, it's in James's letter in chapter 1 that he says, if any of us lack wisdom, we need to ask God and ask him in faith, and he'll give you that wisdom. And maybe you just need someone to pray with you tonight. Maybe you've been going down that road, that trail, and you've been making decision after decision. You may have been doing it for years, and you don't like where it's taking you, and you, you realize that that this is not a good thing, this thing that's happening to you in your life right now. You say, Pastor, I get it. I see the danger of presumption that's happening to me. And you can come and pray with us. You can come and pray at the altar. Or you can just bow your head while the rest of us sing. You say, oh, God, I'm stopping everything right now. I don't want to take another step, not another step, not another step apart from you. Jesus, I need you. If anything is ever going to come of my life, it's going to be because you have lived your life in me and through me. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord, your Savior, he wants to come into your life tonight. He does. You were never made to live independently of him. And because you have chosen to live without him, sin is a byproduct of that for all sin and come short of the glory of God you were made to glorify him to honor him to, to, to reflect him to the whole world to be like him but you've gone your own way and you've made your own decisions and you've experienced some of the consequences of that you know you've sinned you know you've messed up and you're hurting yourself and you're hurting others and you need forgiveness when Jesus died on the cross he died to carry away your sin and tonight if you'll put your trust in him he'll forgive you and even more than that he will come into your life through his spirit and he will live inside you forever he will unite himself to you if you would like to trust him tonight we invite you to come father thank you For the warning of this precious young man's life that you chose to make sure this got into your word that we would see it that we would hear it Lord forgive us for ever thinking we're better than him or somehow we're beyond making the mistake that he made and father we want to humble ourselves before you tonight and we ask that you would come into the throne room of our heart and you would take your rightful place and forgive us for sitting at the head of the boardroom table and trying to call the shots tonight Lord we choose 
we choose to follow you as our king. And for that dear one who's, who's struggling, that dear one who realizes that they need help, they need someone to pray with them, whether they need to be saved, whether they just need guidance and encouragement, may this be the moment that you minister to them. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.